0: Hello, this is Rob, and welcome to episode 16 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right, so this episode is going to be part two of the Folly Coffee Podcast story. Not podcast, the Folly Coffee story. Uh, Part one, I thought it was going to be a one-hour-long episode about how I planned Folly, how I built Folly, why did I do it, launching, and then uh, 2018, and building Folly, and growing, and launching Filtera Cold Brewed Coffees, and what that took, and then going into where we are now in 2020, and about... 45 minutes into it, I realized I wasn't even close to being done with only 15 minutes left into the episode. So I just decided to split this into a two or possibly even three-parter, depending on how this episode goes. Because, let's be honest, I don't play these super far ahead before I start letting my stream of consciousness go. So in this episode, I am going to be covering more of what it took to get into stores with Folly. So where I left off the last episode was essentially our launch of January 2018. We had built the roaster. uh, I had decided on the name. I had built out the brand. And then came the terrifying question of who the heck is going to buy this and drink it. And that's where this episode starts. Now, it's not exactly where this episode starts because I actually have to go back a little bit to be able to start about the selling process Uh, because one of the things I did that ended up being a huge benefit that I would recommend for anyone that's in the development part of a new business that I did was selling before we even launched. Now, like I mentioned in the previous episode, we had planned for the build out of the roaster to take three months. And so that's what I was planning on in the sales process. So I was kind of developing the brand, creating the packaging, doing all of these steps to be able to launch in three months. Then three months came along. The roaster, the roast facility wasn't even close to being built out. There was tons of these like red tape steps we had to go through with the state. We've been through a couple different road bumps with all the different necessities from the Department of Agriculture, uh, the things that we thought we could do ourselves and get done quickly that turned out not to be the case. Like I mentioned, the additional three compartment sink, all these steps led to the process being seven months. But nonetheless, at three months, I was ready to sell the coffee, despite the fact that we weren't in market. We were still, at the time, four months away. But what I did have, I had a brand concept I had a digital rendering of what our packaging would look like. I hadn't ordered it yet because I, I wanted to wait until we had to order it, but I had a digital rendering I could show people. I kind of had our story, what we were trying to do, meeting Ken that we were in the process of building out this roaster. We wanted to bring third wave high-end light roasted coffee to the people of Minnesota, and, and we had samples. So at that three-month mark... When I felt confident in being able to show the branding in some form to potential customers, and when I say customers, I mean like retail locations, not end customers, uh, we started roasting samples. So I took all the money that i have been making from uh, the barista job I was working and bought the first bag of coffee. We got really fortunate that <laughs> this was really dumb luck, and I'll tell this story because it's pretty good about me considering myself to just be stupid lucky at times. Um, I didn't know a lot about the importing process before starting folly. And so part some of the research I had done before moving back, like earlier in the year was where do I source coffee from? And so I just literally Googled Minnesota coffee importer and cafe imports popped up. And I was like, Oh, this is convenient. This is an importer based right in Minneapolis. Turns out cafe imports is one of the premier specialty coffee importers in the industry. I do not know this at the time. I simply find their website. I Reach out to the generic info email. Hey, my name is Rob. Um, I'm beginning to build a business plan. I'm thinking about starting a specialty coffee roaster back home in Minnesota. I'd love to get a tour of your facility and be able to learn more about your trading practices. And I got a response back from Andrew Miller, who is the owner. And I was like, oh, this must be like a really small boutique-y operation if the owner's responding to my email pretty quickly. And I said, hey, next time I'm home on break, because March, I'd love to come check out what you're doing. And he responds. So we set it up and I I come back and sure enough, he gives me a tour of the offices in the facility. And I can assure you, it is by no means a boutique-y operation. Uh, They go through about 8 million. Last time I heard was about like 8 million pounds of green a week. And so they take me to the the warehouse. It's just the, the most green coffee I've ever... And when I say green coffee, I mean unroasted coffee in any single location I've ever seen. And so I'm thinking, oh, they must store this coffee for months or years at a time and it's like nope this is our um, this, this is our weekly turnaround and I was like this is so like so legit and we were so lucky because I could go pick up in my RAV4 a single bag at a time and so when we were ready to start roasting samples and dialing in working together to dial in the first ever Folly coffee I was able to reach out it was the growing season of that first cup of coffee I told you I had that made me so excited about specialty coffee. We got a bag of naturally processed Ethiopian Uh I went, my RAV4 pulled up to the semi-loading dock, popped that single sack, about 132 pounds into the back of my car, and drove out to Silver Lake. And for about a month, Ken and I were just going back and forth on the roast profile. Ken actually, kind of at this time, had been roasting a darker profile, and so... I wanted to get on the really, really light end of the spectrum to bring out a lot of that sweetness, a lot of the acidity to create like intense balance and complexity. And so it took us some time to kind of get on the same page, but eventually we got there and we started roasting this Ethiopian Yirgacheffe at that like third wave style light roasted. It's dialed in perfectly. And so it was at this time that I go, well, I don't know when we're going to launch. We're aiming for the fall. Hoping for the winter, worst case scenario, early 2018, but I'll just go out to customers and gauge levels of interest because in any situation, there's got to be some good that comes out of it. And so I decided the good out of taking forever to build out this roaster because of all the legal red tape we had to go through that I could take advantage and use this time to get feedback on the brand. Because if I hadn't printed a single bag yet, which I hadn't, and if the coffee, even if it tasted not like what the retailers or what people might want, that I could also take that into consideration. And so at the time, I was bringing samples of our coffee around in – so bad to think back on, but – I was starting to reach out to bag suppliers about, hey, we need a 12-ounce coffee bag. Could you send samples of all examples of this style of bag you have? And so what these bag companies do that print these bags is they just send you any sample of that bag they have. Usually a current customer that orders from them, they say, hey, here's five different types of a 12-ounce bag you could use for coffee. Now, just because you could use it for coffee doesn't mean it's a coffee bag. And so the most memorable one I had was I got a batch of bags that were branded with dog food, but they were literally the only bags I had to put coffee in at the time, and I didn't really think about it. And so I was using these to bring samples around. And so one of the very first meetings I had was at our eventual first customer, Eastside Food Co-op in Northeast. And so to put it into perspective, what I had in the repertoire of sales items was a digital rendering of our potential packaging. So it had the Folly logo, just like the bag today. I had the story of why it's called Folly. I had the story of why I wanted to start it, bringing specialty coffee to Minnesota in a bigger way. Uh, The story of me and Ken meeting and that we were currently in the build out process and hopefully this would resonate people. And then the absolute most nerve wracking part was I would bring brewed samples of the coffee as well as samples of the whole beans to buyers. I will urge this. This is specific to food and beverage or really anything that needs to be used. Uh, Any product that has to be like you basically any product that has to be sampled, I should say, to be able to know if it works. Make sure you have something ready for them to use or try or drink in the meeting itself. One mistake I could have made was bringing just whole beans and saying, try this and let me know because you never know how much experience someone has brewing coffee. They might go home and use it on an old Mr. Coffee that's been using dark roasted beans, French, Italian roast since the 1980s. And they're going to say, this tastes pretty similar to all the coffee I've brewed for the last 20 years because they're not tasting the coffee. They're tasting the coffee maker. But what I did is I have this Stanley thermos. It's awesome. Big, big Stanley thermos. I would brew up a big batch of this Ethiopian Yirgacheffe, and I would bring it to meetings and say, this is what the house bean will taste like. We've dialed this in over the past month. This is the type of coffee we want to roast at Folly. And this would be kind of the culminating thing of the entire meeting after telling the story. Um So I had this meeting with the Eastside Food Co-op, and this meeting was going great. Paul is an awesome buyer there. He's very intentional about his sourcing, and this meeting was going great, and then tasted the coffee. He really enjoyed the coffee, and I'm like, yes, this is going so well. And then I go, I also brought you some samples of whole beans for you to bring home, and I pulled out, and I realized that it was one of the dog food bags. And so very quickly, I had to backtrack and be like, this definitely will not be the bag that we use when we launch or put samples in, but... It's just, I didn't want to waste his bag. Is basically what I said. And he was totally cool with it, as anybody who knows Paul knows he would be. Uh, but this was in about you know like September. So I didn't know at the time. I thought we were launching in October or November. It turns out we were still three months out. But that was the first meeting where he said, once you launch, we want to carry you. And that was this like whole... like. The 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 butterflies in the stomach out of that meeting were crazy because prior to this it was just like this thing in my mind it wasn't really real it's like this weird side thing I was doing while working four random jobs and building a roaster out with a guy I had just met a few months earlier and I was just emailing blindly to all these different emails across the twin cities and walking into stores and just being like who buys the coffee here going to the customer service desk hey I'm Robin we're not in business yet, but we're going to have a coffee roasting business. And I'd love to know who uh, does your coffee buying here. And some places would say, oh, leave your card. And you never hear from them again. Some places like Eastside would be like, oh, sure thing. Like we love having local products. You should meet Paul, our coffee buyer. I'm sure he'd be happy to meet with you. And so that was the first pre-sale customer. Uh, The second very similar meeting with Hampton Park Co-op, another awesome co-op in the Twin Cities. Went to them ahead of our launch, showed them the branding, the story that behind the name, why I wanted to do it. I showed them our sourcing practices, working with Cafe Imports. Uh, and then again, they tasted the coffee, said, this is really great coffee. We'll bring it in once you launch. And so those were the first two stores we launched in. And then after that, I was able to get like a few more meetings around town. And most of the time, the answer was once you launch, like, let let us know. Because once you launch, we might be interested, but uh, not not a lot of people will commit straight up to whenever you launch, we'll carry you. Now, the, the other meeting that played a huge important role that I referenced in the last meeting was uh, a meeting I had with Lunds and Byerly's, which is a a chain of uh, about 20 20 plus stores in the Twin Cities, high quality grocery retailer. And through a friend of a friend of a friend, I was able to find uh, Julie, who's the buyer, and... This was in September of 2017, so we were still a few months away from launch. And that meeting just ended up being a lot of like, I guess you could call it pre-selling and just like getting feedback. Of She's had years of experience in the grocery industry, knows everything there is to know about the grocery, uh, whole bean, coffee side of things. And so I was really nervous because her validation of this entire concept would be huge for us. Uh, even if she said we can't bring it in her saying we're in the right direction would be huge and so I went into that meeting with the packaging and like I referenced in the last episode uh, she tried the coffee and she even said this is not the style of coffee I drink but I can recognize that this is an extremely high quality coffee I showed her the packaging told her the story and uh, the the biggest feedback she had is that people of Minnesota want to drink locally roasted coffees and so just some small indicator that it's from Minnesota could be hugely helpful. And so we ended up doing that and putting the state outline in the corner of the bag saying Minnesota roasted. And that small little detail is something that for some reason I had not thought of. And just by taking a meeting before launch and uh, being open to suggestion and not saying this is the final form, it was a huge advantage. And I recommend anyone who do that, approach the people you will eventually be selling to and ask them what they think before you sell. Now, with more forward-thinking concepts, this could create some difficult situations. Uh, Pricing was our big one. Our coffee is tied for the highest-priced coffee in this market, at the time especially. And so going to retailers and saying that this bag every day on the shelf is going to be sitting at $14.99 for the customer. Now, someone like myself, who drinks pretty much exclusively high-end single-origin specialty coffees this is a super bargain for this quality of coffee, but to someone who's used to like Starbucks caribou in this market, you know, Pete's coffee out West, um, they can, I've seen them market their coffees down to like five 99 for a 12 ounce bag. And so I'm I'm saying, and like $10 every day. So I'm saying this is going to be, um, you know, 50% higher every day on the shelf than your best selling coffees. There was some pushback on that, but being able to validate the price through our supply chain logistics in the sense that we're, we're sourcing ethic, ethically sourced uh, coffees that are well above fair trade prices. We're working with importers that are more than fair uh, in, in, this, in the way they compensate and are paying for the coffees to the farm. And then sh- just being able to show the entire process and to why this coffee is the price it is. And then the final product has to match that price. You could pay a ton of money for an amazing coffee. And if it's improperly roasted or if it's poorly roasted, it's still not going to warrant that price, even if the unroasted coffee was extremely high quality. And so being able to taste it and say like, yes, it's $15 a bag, but when you break it down per cup in this bag, it's like 25 cents more per cup. And that that's a great way to kind of validate that. It's like this is 25 cents more per cup, but it's, in a whole different league of like quality. And one thing I'll do in sales meeting is, is you try to kind of get it outside of your own category. And so one thing I'll do is wine is a great example. It's like somebody is definitely willing to jump from like 12 to $20 on a bottle of wine when they want to get a really great wine. And when I say really great, I mean, just like a good wine. But if you wanted to get some of the best wine in the world, I, I don't know a lot about wine, but I don't know, for like 50 you know fifty dollars $100 a bottle, what gets you one of the best bottles of wine around? Whereas with coffee, when you go from $10 to $15 to even $20, when you're spending $20 on a bag of coffee, you're going to get some of the best coffee in the world. So what other product is there like that that If you're willing to spend just $5 more or $0.25 more a cup, it's going to take you from a pretty good cup of coffee to some of the best. It's, It's a pretty good value proposition. Plus, I was able to show what I've referenced in the first episode that this industry is growing. It's big on the West Coast. As long as you can kind of validate where the entire category is going and where you fit, these are the things that started to resonate. So those are the big pre-sale meetings. Now, trust me, I didn't take just three meetings. I didn't make just three phone calls. I didn't knock on just three doors. For every 10 doors I knocked on for every, or tried to get contact information or every, I don't know, not even 10, maybe 20, 30, every 20, 30 attempts to get somebody's contact information or get a meeting, maybe I'm getting one response and out of that, and maybe I'm getting a meeting. Most of the time, it's going to be not interested. Some of the time, it's going to be once you launch, let us know. And then rarely, it's going to be absolutely, I'd love to meet. (laughs) So when you do get that, yes, I'd love to meet, make sure you're prepared. Not just like, what makes your product great? Because I think a lot of people do that. They're like, what makes your product great? But they don't think about who they're selling to and where you fit within what they're selling. And so, for example, Eastside Food Co-op, I I went, well, first of all, I'd shopped there a few times before, but before the meeting, I went just to go look at the store and not meet with them. And so I walked the store and didn't just look at coffee. I looked at all the things they sell. And what I found is they were very forward-thinking in their offerings They were big on buying local and they were very big on making sure everything they sold was ethically traded. And then I look at their coffee selection and they had already a great selection of high-end single-origin specialty coffee. And so in terms of their customer base, I already knew their customers are definitely buying this quality of coffee. And then our price point was actually in line with the coffees that they were selling. And so I was able to go into that meeting with some assumptions about what they might look for in potential suppliers. And that is a big step, is don't go into a meeting not knowing anything about your customer. Do as much research on your own. Because if you go into a meeting with no information and you spend the first half hour of an hour meeting, or let's be more realistic, the first 10 minutes of a 20 minute meeting or the first five minutes of a 10 minute meeting, because you're probably not going to get that much time with everybody. But if you're spending half of your meeting asking them about their business, they're just sitting there like, all right, I'm telling them about myself. but I still know nothing about them. If you can go in with some assumptions about who they're selling to, what they what's selling well, the price points that they need to be at, uh, to be able to sell it. That's going to save you a lot of time. And it's also going to show that you've done your research and that you respect their time. Anyway, back to the regular scheduled program. And That's just like, don't get me started on sales tangents. It's a bit of a rabbit hole for me. So moving back to the Folly story. So those were kind of the three major pre-sale accomplishments but the, so two stores big whoop rob you got in the two stores before you launched why is that important well that the reason that's important is because then when we launch you're not going to stores being like please be the first person ever to sell this you can say we're already selling at these two you know Eastside Food Co-op Hampton Park Co-op super reputable co-ops in the area they're very intentional about who they choose to sell so by launching and already having reputable names and retailers attached to your product it makes The third store makes the fourth store a lot easier because people go, oh, it's less of a risk because these trusted retailers are already selling this product. And so the huge push in really the first half of the year was completely in grocery stores. It was a channel that the reason I focused on grocery stores was one, I had a background in selling to grocery stores because all those stores I had sold Sam Adams, uh, or I mean all the states I sold Sam Adams, uh, grocery store beer sales were legal. For those of you not from Minnesota listening to this right now, uh, grocery store beer sales are not legal if it is above 3.2% alcohol. What up? Weird prohibition rules still sticking around. So I had experience selling to grocery stores. I knew the margin margin requirements they had. I knew what they were looking for in suppliers. I had an idea of the different types of deliveries that they would look for, and so I figured this would be my best bet to go forward because I had so much experience. It was also a channel that, number two, I thought there was a big opportunity for specialty coffee. Traditionally, in high-end, single-origin specialty specialty coffees, roasters have shied away from grocery stores because it's not ideal for coffee, especially when you work with a distributor uh, to, to the grocery store segment because, like... Coffees, in my opinion, after like 90 days is when really great coffees lose all of their like uniqueness about them. Now, a much darker, darker roasted coffee, you might not lose as much because it's really just the bitterness that's the major dominant flavor. But in lightly roasted, amazing coffees, like 90 days is really that cutoff. Like, ideally, you're drinking them within two to four weeks. And so, the specialty coffee roasters have gone, this isn't the absolute best way to purchase coffee. So we're not even going to try to sell to them. Whereas my opinion is most people get their coffee from the grocery store. Then the next question in my mind is, is if they're getting all of their coffee from the grocery store, they're probably not looking online for coffee. They're probably not going to a local roaster. They're probably not going to a local specialty cafe to buy their beans. So there's this huge, huge population of people exclusively going to grocery stores that no one in high-end coffee is looking at. And so knowing that what I want to do with Folly is bring people into specialty coffee because most people are just like your Starbucks drinkers. They think that that's the best coffee. It's really the highest quality of coffee they've had. And they think that that's as good as it gets. Most of those people have never tried a good coffee or know they're even available out there. So I go, well... Is it it ideal selling coffee in grocery stores? No. But how can we combat that? Well, for one, I can cut our time on shelf to 90 days. This is another example of trying to do things differently than the industry standards. So the industry standard based on my research of going around to all different grocery store chains and looking at the coffees on the shelf and trying to find roast dates, trying to find best buy dates and learning when these coffees were roasted is that the industry standard seems to be anywhere between six months to a year is when they pull that coffee off the shelf. That's called like the the out of, you know, out of code or out of date for the sake of this podcast, I'll call it out of date because it's a little simpler term. So most of them say our coffees are out of date. They're no longer fresh at six months to a year, which is ridiculous because a coffee after a year is going to be straight up cardboard. A coffee at six months is going to be pretty dang similar. There are some things you can do to combat this. There's like nitrogen flushing. There's uh, special packaging, but really it's just like nitrogen flushing is the best thing you can do. But even that's not going to hold up to six months to a year of age. And so the first step we did is, hey, we will cut the industry standard in half. We will pull all of our coffee at 90 days. Well, how can we make sure that the coffee is on the shelf super fresh? Well, we're not going to work with a distributor in the grocery channel because we want to be able to roast the coffee to order for grocery, which is pretty rare in this category. So we're going to roast to order for grocery stores so that when a grocery store places their order, we roast it on Wednesday Wednesday and we are delivering it on Thursday. So that coffee is getting on shelf within 24 hours of roast. Then if a coffee is sitting on the shelf for 90 days, we swap it out for a fresh roast. That way, anybody who's willing to spend the extra money on that high-end coffee is getting what they're what's worth it. And so all these re- reasons went into, well, it's not ideal for coffee, but We will attract an entire new population of people that's never even thought about high-end coffee. And that's our entire goal with Folly is we want to introduce people to specialty coffee. We want to introduce people to the idea that coffees aren't bitter. Coffees aren't burnt. That's cheap coffee being dark roasted. That coffee that's grown and processed and roasted in a very intentional way has an amazing range of flavors. So the entire strategy was let's focus on groceries and co-ops to begin with. We will cut it off at 90 days, half the industry standard. And then what are we going to do for marketing? Like I had all these like, oh, we'll do this campaign. This campaign will pay for social media advertising. We'll do this print advertising. And then after looking at it, I'll go, wait a second. Have I ever looked at an Instagram ad for coffee and that's why I got it? Have I ever looked at a print ad about a coffee and that's why I got it? No, it's pretty much the only coffees I get are word of mouth from my trusted coffee friends about which ones I should try next. Well, that's tough as a new company because how the heck do you build word of mouth if no one's tasted your coffee? So the ultimate answer is, well, we need to get a lot of people to taste our coffee. This was the final reason grocery stores were a perfect place to launch because They love when their suppliers sample their product in-store. It helps them sell their coffee. It helps us promote the coffee. And this is especially true for products that are of superior quality. So if Folly Coffee's value proposition to a customer spending $5 more on a bag of coffee is that our coffee is much, much better, 50% better in cost even, uh, the taste better justify it. And so that was the strategy. I'm going to focus solely on selling to grocery stores and I'm going to sample every single weekend in any of our customers that are selling it. So we launched in the two stores After we get into this two stores, we started picking up some more kind of like independent co-ops, grocery stores, uh, Oxendales in Minneapolis has, was one of our like OG supporters did a sampling there to get it kicked off. And, uh, one of the big steps along the way was I met with Britt over at, uh, Kowalski's and they have 11 locations and he signed off that, Hey, I will approve this product in our stores, all 11 of them, but it's up to the managers if they want to bring it in. Well, part of the reason that meeting went well is instead of going to him and saying, can we bring this in? And then the manager is just saying yes or no, is I went to each individual store and found the manager and said, do you want to bring this in? And they said, well, it has to be approved. Then I'm like, well, if this was approved, would you want to bring it in? And again, all of these meetings, bringing brewed coffee, bringing whole bean samples for them, having the final bags like at this time we launched. So I actually had the physical bags and bringing them a sample box of all of our coffees saying, if this were to get approved, would you bring it in and. I got approval from almost every single manager before even approaching Brit, who's in charge of uh, product approval. And so I was able to show him that's like, hey, I've talked with the majority of your managers before this meeting, and here's the list of people that have said they'll bring it in. And so for him, he still wanted to taste the product. He's still very intentional about the products he chooses and the approval that they get. But after telling the story, after showing industry trends, after sampling him on the coffee... It, it was ultimately approved. And then I had a turnkey that all these managers approved. So I reached back out to all the managers. And it was it was not so much like, do you want to bring it in? But more like, when do you want to bring it in? Let's set up a sampling. And so we were able to launch in all 11 stores of these Kowalski's very quickly. And set up a sampling schedule. So at this point, that was in late February of 2018. So this all happened Within about a span of two months within launch in February. And our weekly cycle was still, we would, Ken would roast on Wednesdays. I would come out and package the coffee by myself Wednesday night. And then I would deliver it to myself Thursday morning while also still working at the time three jobs. So I was doing barista in the morning. I was barbacking and bartending at this point only on weekends and then I would drive Lyft after that like bartending bar back shift and at 11 p.m. I'd drive Lyft from usually till about 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. when those surge rates were going because I was still building the savings up, tr- still keeping my personal expenses low knowing that all these costs would continue to rise. I had used most of my personal savings at this point on obviously the the bags of coffee we had to buy from Cafe Imports that I would go pick up in the back of my rav For uh, We had to do the... Uh, a thousand each of the three different varieties that we launched with the house being the classic Joe the winer. so those are pre-printed bags so I had to pay for those up front and so I was already burning through my savings so I was keeping those jobs but then I got to between this rock and a hard place that it's like you know I'm starting to burn out that I'm packaging by myself that's taking a long time because it was just literally using a metal scoop to scoop it into the bags, sealing by myself putting them in boxes And those orders were all of a sudden tripled when Kowalski signed on board. And then deliveries were getting a little bit more difficult too, just delivering by myself. And then all of a sudden I had, you know, 15 plus stores that I had to sample in. And so I started requesting pretty much all my, my, uh, like, barista shifts on the weekend. I pretty much said I can't work Saturday, Sunday anymore. I have to sample. And then the bartending bar backing job started to get a little, a little too much if I'm working and then driving Lyft started to drop off. And so all of a sudden I'm going, I don't know if this is sustainable by myself, but I have to do it for the sake of like finances. And this is probably through March, like end of March. It was, it was just like, five, six weeks of just like grinding it out and having very little sleep and still trying to go out and meet with all these customers while still working these jobs. Then came kind of the... Uh probably the pivotal moment of 2018, that we were in these 15, 16 stores. And uh, I, I reached back out to Julie, who I'd met with at Lund's uh, in late 2017, and said, like, hey, we're, we're officially up in the market. We just launched in Kowalski's. We're at these other great co-ops and independent grocery stores. Would you be interested in potentially meeting about launching in Lund's? And the timing was very fortunate. She said, our next uh, set change, and a set is the industry term for what is available on the shelf. So all the shelves in each aisle have their own set. Well, we're changing our sets in late April. I'd like to meet in uh, late March and we'll discuss the possibility. And this meeting, long story short, very positive meeting. And it ultimately was, we'll have to decide if we have space in the set. A couple of weeks went by, business as usual. Then I get the email as I'm driving back from deliveries one day. Hey, We want to move forward with it. We're going to put you in 21 of our stores. And this was maybe the shortest mental celebration of all time. Because it was like, boom! Like, (laughs) like, that's it! Like, we just doubled our stores again. And, like, this is becoming a real thing. This is no longer just, like, some made-up thing that I'm just doing and working these odd jobs and, like, this weird side hustle. This is, like, for real now. Yes, like holy smokes. And then oh, there's no possible way I can do this on my own. 21 stores, three three varieties each, uh, 60 cases of coffee. I've never packaged more than, uh, I don't know, 10 cases of coffee at a time. And it's like minor p- panic mode, but I have this stupid thing in my brain where it's like, I'll just pull all nighters and make it work. And it was at this time during the month of April, as I'm having panic attacks every week about how we're going to handle the launch of LUNS. That at Eastside Food Co-op, this guy uh, with a, a great beard at Eastside Food Co-op kept asking me more increasingly difficult coffee questions. The first one, the first time we'd met was when we first launched in January, and he was like, "Hey, um, like they were telling me about folly. I had a question for you, like, what type of water should I use for brewing?" And I'm like, w- "That's a very specific coffee question." And everybody who's like a coffee nerd has this moment where they're like, "Okay." how nerdy is this person about coffee? And you kind of have to figure out their vibe on that. And so I'm like, what do you do currently? Well, I've been using my tap water, but I I found I think it's a bit hard. I think the mineral content is high, which is creating some flavors that I don't like. And I'm like, oh, okay, we got a coffee nerd. And so I told him about like third wave water. I told him that I use spring water frequently, and that's uh, brewed a great cup of coffee for him. And so every week I saw him, he was asking these different like, definite coffee nerd questions, and it got to the point where I was like, man, I, I need to research anytime I do a delivery here to make sure he, he doesn't ask me a question I don't know. And then right around the time that Lenz had just said, yes, we're going to bring you in by the end of the month, he approached me and said like, hey, I just want to get into the coffee industry. Um, how do I do that? And so I said, let's, let's grab a coffee and just talk about how you might be able to do that. I've met a lot of people, awesome people in the industry. Maybe I can find you like a home or like a cafe or somewhere to work. Uh, and after that coffee we grabbed, it turned out that I was like, no, I don't want to be a barista. I don't want to be on the service side. It's the roasting that I'm most interested in. It's the coffee that I'm most interested in. I, I'll do anything to get my foot in the door. And I go, well, um, I will actually need help packaging um, next week. Uh, if you're willing to package and and then also do samplings on the weekend, that'd be huge. And he was like, anything. And so the next week, we are this guy, Jeff, who's now – As anyone who follows us on Instagram or follows Folly closely is a huge part of Folly. This is Jeff is now helping me package. So I have this stranger that I'm driving out with to go package coffee. Again, another example of just being stupid lucky. I had no planning. I had no idea how I was gonna package all this coffee. And he was all of a sudden in the picture. And right away it was like very apparent. Guy is a super hard worker is not a complainer is just like a do it and get it done kind of guy and then he's also super interesting we're super compatible in terms of like our values and so packaging all of a sudden turned into kind of this fun thing that it went from me being alone listening to podcasts and music in my ears and just being like this is what it takes to get it done to all of a sudden like getting to know Jeff and what he's all about and so He and I were packaging on Wednesdays. At this point, I went to all those jobs and was like, I am done. Gotten to Lund's. We're in 30 plus, you know, almost 40 stores in the Twin Cities. Uh, I have to take this full time. And so that was the moment where I went full time folly. And so the weekly cycle was. We were roasting Wednesday, packaging Wednesday night. I was delivering all the coffee Thursday morning, and then Jeff and I would both sample pretty much every weekend, one or two times a weekend, so that we could hit every single store that we were in to make sure not only that these stores are being supported and that we're ha- helping sell them bags of coffee, but also in a good sampling, I can sample as many as like eighty to a hundred people. And so, if all of a sudden we're in forty stores and I'm sampling eighty people, you're all of a sudden talking about like. 3,500 people being sampled in the period of two to three months, and so for people who are like, oh, sampling's good, but I don't know how much good it does. What better way is there for 3,500 people who, before walking into a store, knew nothing about who you, your product, no, knew nothing about your product, knew nothing about your brand, didn't even know you existed, and then all of a sudden they taste your coffee, and the biggest feedback would get is like, this actually tastes like what you're saying. It's not bitter. It's fruit forward. It tastes like blueberries. It tastes like, it's like floral. It's sweet. And then there'd be the people like, this doesn't taste like coffee. I hate it. And you're like, that's good because the last thing I want is for somebody to think our product is okay. I want people to love it or I want people to hate it. Anybody who's making a product that people think are okay, you better have a lot of money for marketing dollars. You better have a lot of money to build a hundred stores so that you're more convenient than anyone else. If you don't have that, you better have a product that people absolutely love or they hate because guess when you tell people about something, it's when you love it or you hate it. So even if someone came to me and was like, I had a coffee today that I hated so, so much. I'd be curious as to like, I want to know what raised this much anger from you about this coffee and I would go find it and probably drink it and maybe I love it. Maybe I hate it too. But it's, it's like the, the comparison I always make is like, you don't tell someone about like, oh man, I uh, had like this super okay burger today. Like you should definitely maybe like get it if you're in the area and you happen to be desperately hungry at that moment. It's like, no, you tell people about the burgers that was like, this was absolutely amazing. I've never had anything like it. So at this point in time, uh, as we're starting to launch in Lunds as we're doing all these samplings... Um that took us through the middle of the year. So another thing I see new businesses do is they grow quickly and then they forget to think about well, how do we support the customers that we're now partnered with? And so I made the decision when we launched in Lunds, I'm going to put a complete pause on the sales focus of folly and make sure that we're taking care of all of our customers. So instead of going out and launching in lunch and then immediately going out and trying to find new customers. It was, let's focus on this for eight weeks. That's what we did the math that we could sample all, new, all 21 of these new stores in the next eight weeks on the weekends. And then after that, we'll focus on what the next move is. Ironically enough, after making that decision, this is when Philterra cold brewed coffee first becomes the nugget of an idea. And I should say, nugget of an idea in my life because uh, my good buddy Brandon Martin, who I just met through all the coffee events I was going to while building out Folly, and was just a super cool, nice guy. Like every time I talked to him, I really enjoyed talking to him. He'd been in the coffee industry for like. 10 plus years with every single job you could ever possibly imagine he's a barista a ca- cafe manager he at the time was doing uh, coffee sales for another roaster in town uh, it was around april of that t- of that year 2018 uh, that he approached me and was like hey like what do you think about like the cold brew industry or like what do you think about cold brew and i was like uh ah, you know i think it's uh i think it's super saturated I think there's a lot of competitors or there's a lot of competition. Uh, It's clearly an exploding category. It's an exploding uh, product. But because it's growing so quickly, it's attracting new competition and people with a lot of resources. And then from the like coffee nerd side of me, I never really had cold brew that excited me. I'd had cold brew. It's like, ah, this is nice and sweet. I've had a, a couple cold brews from some great cafes like Blueprint in St. Louis was one that I got a lot where it's like, oh, I, this tastes amazing. Like I actually taste great coffee in this. But most of them were just like, eh, kind of sweet, kind of bitter, cheap coffee, no real complexity to it. And he said, well like, what do you think about getting into cold brew with folly? And I was like, nah, I just, I just, I, it's not a focus. Like we just launched four months ago. He goes, well, but before you say, before you say that, I, 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 how did, how did he came to me? He was like, Oh oh, 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 I remember he'd gone back to his manager job. And so I was like, why, 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 uh, why'd you go back to the, the previous job you had? I thought the sales job was going pretty well. He's like, oh, it is. But I, you know, I'm working on something. And then that's when he was like, what do you think about cold brew? And that's what I started telling him my honest opinion. And he said, well, first off, uh, what if I came to you and said, I will take folly coffee. I will cold brew it into cold brew coffee. And I will go out and sell it. I'm like, well, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. He's like, well, do you want to do that with me? I'm like, no, not really. I kind of just, you know, I told you the reasons why. High competition, a lot of resources, super saturated market. And he goes, well, first, I want you to taste what I'm doing. The reason I left is I've been working on cold brew recipes for about two years now. I've been working on different methods with grind size and time and temperature and coffee styles to bring out single-origin, high-quality flavor profiles in cold brew. So first, I want you to taste what I'm doing. And he actually brought me the Folly House Bean cold-brewed. And when I tasted it, I was like, that is actually incredible. It's the first time I'd ever tasted the actual origin profile of a coffee in cold brew. So it was like cold and sweet and refreshing, but still had that like fruit-forwardness that's indicative of the Folly House Bean. So I was like, that's... That's impressive. And he said, then two other things about how I want to do it. One, I want to only go on tap. I think it's something that nobody's really doing at a high, high level. And so I think there's a big opportunity there. And he goes, I know you used to sell kegs for Sam Adams. Right. And I was like, okay, now we're, now we're starting to talk here. We're like slinging kegs and bars, restaurants. That's totally my lane. So that definitely piqued my interest. And then the last thing, which is incredibly creative is he said, I want to create a cold brew company that works with a group of coffee roasters. So instead of it being the folly coffee cold brew, and you go around with one cold brew, take it or leave it. We will work with uh, high-end roasters that we select to partner with and we will cold brew their coffees and we'll be able to do it better than anyone because it's all we're focusing on. And I was like, that is a very intriguing idea because as a small roaster with, you know, limited resources and even more, the resource being the most limited time, because it takes a lot of focus to focus on really making great cold brew and selling it wholesale, uh, That became incredibly intriguing. That's when he asked, do you want to go in on this with me? And I did not take the proposition lightly because one of the biggest horror stories I hear in small business is people taking on too much. And knowing myself, it is far and away what I do The most that causes me the most stress and anxiety in my life is I have a hard time saying no and I take on way, way too much. And I try to get it all done and I usually do, but I will say that my personal mental health does not benefit from it. And so I did not take the proposition lightly, but here's why I ultimately decided to do it. One, was Brandon. If it was a different person, I probably would have said no. But just knowing him, his reputation in the industry, his expertise, and his passion, and the fact that this wasn't a new idea, this is something that he'd been flushing out with cold brew recipes for two years, and that like a sales side person was what was missing from the piece, and that's where he saw me fitting in, was very attractive because that way we could stick into very specific lanes of what we're responsible for. And so that's, I've referenced it in other episodes, but if you're going to partner with somebody in a business, you have to have very, very tight, specific lanes. If your responsibilities or your interests or your passion overline too much, it can cause a lot of issues. So that was very attractive. And I made that clear that if we're going to partner, I want our responsibilities to be very, very clearly defined. And then the second part was, the cold brew itself like it was amazing it was honestly anytime i taste something where i go this is the first time i've experienced this i'm i'm hooked and so i couldn't get the taste i'm actually drinking it right now at this moment i've got samples of our folly house being cold brew because i wanted to drink it before this episode to remind myself of that moment and so uh upon tasting that cold brew i was like i couldn't get it out of my mind the and then the the final part was really that uh The opportunity it had to serve high value to small quality focus roasters is that we could be an entry point to a new market for amazing roasters that didn't currently exist. And then I should say the real last thing that was the hardest to decide is, would this be a distraction from Folly? I was only about five months in at the time he approached me, four or five months, It was just starting to get off the ground. We just launched in LUNS. Things were going really well for the time we'd been in market. And I really, really took it seriously and worried, would doing something like this distract me from the continued success of Folly? But because the sales channels that these two focus on are so separate, I ultimately decided that it was a good decision. Because the places that sell cold brew on tap, bars, restaurants, cafes, they're usually trying to take their meetings like much later in the day or even on the weekends. They meet at odd hours because they're in the industry. Whereas retailers selling Folly coffee bags or uh, even like cafes, they're willing to meet super early in the morning. So I go, there is an effective way to split out my time to make both of these work. And so while we're launching in Lunds and... While we're sampling every weekend and packaging and roasting and delivering, I'm also beginning to build out an entire new concept of Filterra. I'm going to save Filterra cold brewed coffees as an entirely separate episode because this business continues to intrigue me more and more every day, and the things Brandon is doing over there with cold brew deserves its own episode. So I don't want to try to limit that to like the next five minutes. But that's the timing of Philterra was he approached me at that time. And that's when it began. We started building out that brand. But to keep this episode focused on the building of Folly Coffee. So after the eight weeks of launching in Lunds, we sampled every single weekend, once or twice every single weekend, both Jeff and I, we got it done. We had pretty brutal shelf position in most of the stores, like on the bottom shelf, but through... Just sampling and telling people the stories and teaching the managers. I was able to get in front of the entire, uh, they're called foodies. They're the people who are in charge of all like the sampling programs. And they're really awesome in-store representatives of Lunds. If you're ever in a Lunds, ask for their foodie for food recommendations. I was able to get in front of all of them and teach them about Folly. And just spreading the story through grassroots at Kowalski's, at Lunds, at Eastside, at all Hampton Park, uh, Oxendales. Just sampling and getting the right people to know about it allowed us to be able to start selling pretty much the second we hit shelves. Now, by no means were people breaking down the doors to find it because it was still so new. But the fact that we could take something that had not existed in the market, put it on shelf, and it actually had, had enough turn to warrant keeping it on the shelf was an absolutely huge accomplishment. So that brings us to like June-ish of 2018. We're six months in. We're in a number of grocery stores that I'm very happy with at the time because uh, we're in like what I consider to be the highest quality retailers in the market. Uh, And then that's when uh, I start to think about like, what is the next step? Because I was starting to get a little antsy that all of our volume was coming from one channel, grocery stores and co-ops, which I consider to be kind of the same retail channel. So how can we diversify our retail channels to continue to grow in an effective way that doesn't quote-unquote put all of our eggs in one basket? And so through this, I started knocking on the doors of apartment buildings because I noticed a growing trend with a lot of friends that I had that lived in these high-end apartments that they're serving actually good coffee, or at least they have really cool coffee machines. And I ended up finding this apartment building called Third North. They're in the North Loop of Minneapolis, like really, really amazing apartments, like really cool spot. And I reached out to them and said, like, "Hey, we're a new local roaster. There's a growing trend of like coffee's an awesome free amenity to offer. It's lower cost than a lot of other amenities, but is an amazing way to like really show value to your tenants because if you're gonna buy a cup of folly coffee at uh, at a cafe or a coffee of that level quality." Like four dollars is kind of the average, and so someone that's a huge value for someone. Now, luckily, I did this on Instagram. Reached out to them, they agreed to meet. I told them the story, and they said like, "Well, we do. We have an agreement with um, our current coffee providing. It's really the distributor. We have an agreement with the distributor. They supply us this machine, and we have to use only the coffees they offer." Uh, in that machine. So we would love to serve your coffee. And we actually ended up working a deal where I got them a brewer and a grinder and they served it on the weekends. And that was pretty cool. But they said, we want to serve your coffee every day, but we have to have this machine because our our tenants want this machine. And so instead of saying, oh darn, ah, I don't have one of those machines. That's a bummer. We'll just stay on the weekends. My next step is well, how the heck can I get my coffee in one of these machines? First step is I'm going to go out and see how much these machines cost. Oh, there's the price tag. Okay, that's not going to work because, uh, oh, uh, yeah, we just launched. Uh, small business, uh, small business, cash. Yeah. And so the next step is well, who does have these machines? <laughs> they literally told me, they're like, our distributors wise it to us. So I go, okay, what distributors are in the Minneapolis area? And so I find a list of about eight to 10 coffee distributors and I call every single one, try to find contacts of who would be the best person to reach out to. Uh, Most of them just right away say info at our That'll take you. And if they want to meet, they'll respond like, okay. But for the, I tried calling first to get the info of who would decide on who they work with or what coffees they sell. And I was able to get a meeting with a local distributor called Barry coffee. Uh, and I was able to meet with Joey at Berry coffee. And I said, I, and so he was awesome enough to take this meeting with a relatively unknown brand new coffee roaster. It's just six months old, uh, because I had this apartment building that would be interested in potentially forming a partnership. And this is another example of me getting stupid lucky. Well, first of all, Joey's an awesome guy. And so that's lucky, but also we had a mutual friend. Uh, a guy I went to college with was a guy that he knew from high school, and so he's like, "Oh, you know Reber? Like, okay, I'll uh, I'll go ask Reber. Uh, like, basically, he's, he told me he's like, I'm gonna go ask Reber to like vet you out and see if I should work with you. And uh, fortunately, Reber and I are good, or you know, good buddies. And so he said, "Yeah, Rob's a good guy. <laughs> you should work with him." And so Joey told me that, "Hey, we'll work this partnership out with this apartment building." And we'll get them a machine, a bean to cup machine, to serve your coffee. And if we'll put it at six months down the road, so if by the end of the year that's the only customer we're working with that's selling folly coffee, we'll have to terminate our partnership with you because it's a lot of work for one customer when our other coffee suppliers have you know customers all across the cities. But if we can grow the folly, if you can grow the folly coffee customer base through us. Uh, we'd be more than happy to continue working with you. And so fortunately, this apartment building that we worked with, Third North, uh, shout out Mary, she's like... huge advocate and she was like shouting from the rooftops to everybody in this uh, they were uh, part of the steven scott group and so she's sh- shouting to everybody in this group like this coffee program is amazing like uh, our our tenants love the coffee folly coffee's got a great story and so she made it that we were able to have a meeting with all the manage- managers at these apartments which is about 15 apartment buildings and so we said exactly what we're doing at third north We showed them the bean-to-cup coffee machine, sampled them on Folly Coffee, got them some whole beans to bring home, and basically said, anybody who's interested in doing the same program at your apartment building, shoot us an email. And we ended up getting into, I think at the time it was like five, and then all of a sudden it's 10, and I think we're in about 12 of them now. And so that was a, a really awesome new lane that going back to the way I think about things is What can we do differently than what everybody else is doing? And one of them is not a lot of high-end specialty coffee roasters are looking at apartment buildings. Now, this was middle of 2018. It's February 3rd of 2020. This has changed even since then. It's like now a new focus for everybody. But... At the time, this was forward thinking. And so we were able to utilize this opportunity, form partnerships with really high-end apartments. So it it was like a win-win relationship. And I would even go into these apartment buildings and do samplings. And the funny thing about how a sampling looks at an apartment building, is you literally just stand by their coffee machine as people are grabbing coffee in the morning, I'm like, hey, <laughs> like, have you heard about the new coffee? And most people are like, I don't know, I like this machine. And you're like, well, the coffee in it is roasted here. And here's why it's smooth and here's why it's sweet and here's why it's nutty. And, uh, you know, some people are like, cool, man, <laughs> like, stop bothering me while I'm grabbing my coffee. But a lot of people are like, whoa, I didn't know that. And then it makes their mornings better because they know about the coffee and they form a connection with this coffee that's served in their own lobby, and uh, that was really the big, the big like shift in sales uh, in the second half of the year, and that is what established this partnership with Barry Coffee, and was a huge, huge turning point for the business because one of the most difficult things I found is my two biggest assumptions. In jumping from doing beer sales for Sam Adams to doing coffee sales, like obviously it's much more in sales, but just looking at the sales aspect is that my experience selling in grocery stores would transfer from beer to coffee. And th- this proved to be very true. Uh, a lot of the things that uh, retailers and grocers looked for in beer in the states that I sold ended up being nearly identical to high-end coffee. So the craft beer, high-end coffee, and grocery store was a very similar comparison. And because our, our coffee was uh, the taste was good enough to justify the cost, uh, found a lot of success in grocery store. My other assumption is that my experience selling to bars, restaurants, Uh, selling them beer, that this would transfer to coffee as well. And this was absolutely not the case. And honestly, it was a bit of a blow. Uh, it, It was like every single meeting. First of all, it's really, really hard as a new roaster to get a meeting with cafes, restaurants, because it's so competitive and they have so much going on that if they haven't heard of you or if you don't have like great things you can do to show that like, this is why you should meet with us. It's, it's very hard to get. And so the, the few, I would just drive around the cities on these days where we're not roasting, packaging, delivering or sampling. I would drive around the cities to every cafe and just walk in and be like, who decides what coffee you serve? Can they meet? And the overwhelming thing I got is so like, if I'm selling Sam Adams and I walk into a bar or restaurant and I say, you know, we've got this new beer or we've got this new program or whatever, they could put our our beer on tap alongside 19 other beers. They could put our bottles alongside a list of 50 different bottles. With coffee, and this isn't so much true on the West Coast, but it's definitely true in the Midwest, most places serving coffee, they only serve one roaster. And so when I'm going to these places and saying, would you be interested in potentially serving Folly coffee? It's, I'm asking them to completely overhaul their entire coffee program completely overturn what they've been offering their customers for something they've never heard of to a guy they would met as he walked in the door that day there was the difficulty of that but that's true in any new small business the other side in coffee that did not apply to beer was that most places that are like most independently owned cafes they either lease or they're given equipment to them by distributors or roasters. So roasters that are big enough to have the resources can supply espresso machines, grinders, brewers, all these things to cafes. Uh, Distributors with equipment capabilities and service capabilities, they're providing the equipment or they're able to lease them uh, equipment at competitive pricing uh, to be able to get their business. And as a super small business, I just did not have the resources to make this an option. And so it limited me to only independent shops that owned their own equipment and those are pretty far and few between and so by the end of 2018 we uh had this partnership with barry and so for the first time as a brand new small business just a year old we had now the ability to partner with an amazing company like Barry that does seven-day-a-week service, same-day service if you order before two. This is a total advertisement right now, by the way. <laughs> it's like they servicing seven days a week. They had a full lineup of espresso, grinders, brewers, bean-to-cut machine, basically anything that any cafe from an apartment that wants a fully automatic bean-to-cut machine to a high-end cafe that wants a fully, like a volumetric two-step espresso machine to serve like espresso at the highest quality it can be served, we now had that capability to be able to walk into a place and at least have that as an option. And so that was where we ended 2018 going into 2019. And looking at my time again here, that puts me at an hour. So the next episode is going to be 2019. And so the theme looking back at 2018 was like, lift off, right? Like we're on the runway of small business. It's snowing, it's sleeting, there's wind conditions, and I just want to get this dang plane off the ground. And so the first half of the year was getting it off the ground. And the second half of the year was like that part where your ears start to pop as you raise into the sky. And so 2019 is where we really started to get a foothold and things started becoming very real. So the next episode, Might not be the next one I release because Jeff and I still have this Coffee Tasters episode recorded that we need to finish up, but... 2019 will be the next episode and then i'll finish that episode with where we're at now with folly coffee and where we want to go and hopefully uh some of the things that we've got in store for you all uh which we have some really fun things in store that maybe i'll only release on this podcast since we probably don't have enough listeners that it would be considered like leaking information but we'll have that one finished like where we're at now in february of 2020 uh, and then as a side episode, I will go back and do an entire episode on Philterra cold-brewed coffees because that is probably where most people get confused as to what it is. Is it Folly? Is it me? Is it Brandon? What is it? Uh, is cold brew? It's what? And so I will make that entirely separate episode. But for now, I will end this as I end every other episode and say, have a great day.